Okay, so basically what's happening is they've come into Jericho, they've done their thing, the walls came down, they walked into Jericho. Last time we talked a little bit of what it meant for the armies to come in and take over and uh, of what God was trying to do over there. And then finally they destroyed that city. They brought it to nothing. They burnt the city down and all of that. But one thing that stands out in the middle of that story is how Joshua kept his word. God kept his word. Joshua kept his word. God kept his word. And that is what is something that must, we, we must take away. We must remember. We must just think on that for a few. A lot of all that God has for us. Listen very carefully. A lot of all that God has for us is built on promise. Not on a promise, but on promise. A lot of what God has for us is built on the fact that he is a promise-keeping God. That he has a character that keeps his promises. He keeps his word. And he wants his people to be people who keep his word, who keep their word rather, right? So Joshua gave his word to Rahab. Rahab said, when you come, I want you to do this. I want you to spare me and spare my family. Conditions were applied. Anybody who's in the house gets saved. Anybody who's there, even some grand uncle who can come in last minute, you can get everybody in, pack in all the cousins, they get saved. Yes, but what did they do to deserve this salvation? What did they do? Well, they are part of this person's faith. That's another thing I want us to pick up on. That Joshua spared Rahab and his family. Chapter 7, God didn't spare Achan and his family. This lady hid these men in her house. Achan hid the articles in his tent. God spared Rahab, a prostitute, and her family. God didn't spare Achan and his entire family. Bring out her whole family and save her, burn the city. Bring out his whole family and destroy them. We'll pick that up next time. It's going to be a humbling, solid, fearful chapter as we come face to face with the anger of God and just zip past it as we visit the cross. It's going to be amazing next Sunday. A lot of all God has for us is built on a promise. Our faith rests on the promise-keeping character of God. So if that's what rests your faith, if that's what builds your faith, what do you think Satan's going to attack you on? What do you think he's going to do to shake your faith on a very daily basis? He's going to shake your ability to stand on God's promises. He's going to shake your ability to rest on God's promises. He's going to shake your memory of the promises of God. Isn't that true? He's going to take those memories of what God has promised and he's going to alter them. He's going to make them fuzzy. He's going to make, if he can keep them, keep you away from revising and going over the promises of God, he's going to shake your faith. If you're not completely convinced that God keeps his word, I repeat, if you're not completely convinced that God is a promise-keeping God, that God keeps his word, you will experience anxiety because you haven't heard what God has to say about that situation. You will experience fear. Because you haven't got, uh, heard what God has to say about his presence. You will experience severe insecurity. Now when you're experiencing anxiety and fear and insecurity, you will do what? You'll do everything you can in your speech, in your action and in your relationships to compensate for fear, 
compensate for insecurity and compensate for anxiety. You're going to naturally, you're going to go after, that's what the world is doing. That's what the world is doing. That's what everything they are doing is to compensate for these three things. And God's promises basically speak into these three specific things. So as long as God's word is kept from your hearing and you forget or you are not convinced that God is a promise-keeping God, your life will alter, your life will be modified and you will begin to see signs in your life that basically help you cope, say it, with anxiety, with fear and with insecurity. You go, you do it, do a test, do a test. This whole week, check out all your friends, check out the sitcoms on television, check out the news, check out how people advertise things to you. How, not what they're, but how they advertise things to you. They're appealing to these specific three things. They know you're insecure, whereas God's people shouldn't be. They know you're fearful, whereas God's people shouldn't be. They know you're anxious. As you try to cope and compensate for the absence of a promise-keeping God in your life, your life will smack of these three things if you do not keep revising and renewing your trust in a promise-keeping God. Joshua kept his word to Rahab. Rahab is a harlot. She's a prostitute. She's been living that life in those, in those walls, hiding in the wall or rather living in the wall and in that city. That's her life. That's her past. Are you with me? Are you with me? Verse 22, go into the harlot's house, bring her out and her family and all that she has as you swore to her. The Bible says God does not forget his promises. God remembers his word towards you. He remembers his faith towards you. God has said some promises towards you. And in the face of your disobedience, in the face of your wickedness, in the face of your failing and faltering, he does not forget those promises. Isn't that good? Isn't that amazing? Because I made some vows to my wife uh, around 20 years ago. And 20 years is a long time. And in the face of rudeness or ridicule or lack of support or on a bad morning or if I'm tired when she's not acting right with me are you with me are you hearing this when she's not giving me what I want or she's not giving behaving in a way I don't like it in that moment I forget my promises but no matter what you do no matter how you behave no matter how far you go God never forgets his promises even in that moment when he is irked, when he is provoked, when he is pushed back, when he is irritated with you because of your behavior, because of your whatever, the promise assurance is that he will not forget his promises. So even in, no matter what I'm like, God will always act in accordance with his word. That's the God I worship. Joshua kept his promises. And verse 23 says, and the men did so. Verse 22 says, he told the men, go in and do this. In verse 23, the men did so. Verse 24 and verse 25, Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. God spared Rahab's household, her family, and all that she had. Chapter 7, God didn't spare Achan, didn't spare his family, didn't spare all that he had. 
I want us to get to the bottom of what is a value to God. What does God do? On what does God base judgment? On what does God base mercy? What does God base condemnation and curse? Because we're going to deal with a very, we're going to deal with anger. The anger of God. The wrath of God was kindled towards the people of Israel. We're going to deal with that next week. But I don't want you to forget what happened with Rahab as you go in and look in and focus on what happens with Achan. Are you with me? Because the moment you see an angry God, we have been programmed to become crippled. We have been programmed to freeze. We have been programmed to become small and insecure. Because we grew up with fathers or with authorities or with others yelling and screaming at us. And when they yelled and screamed at us, when they corrected us, we became nothing. Because in with that anger came also those words. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Along with anger came words. You're nothing. You're useless. You'll never amount to anything. See how you always behave. See how much shame you've brought. See this, see that. So along with anger came words. So we have associated anger with negative, derogatory, demeaning words. If you're angry with me, it means something is wrong with me. If you're angry with me, it means this relationship is broken. But when God gets angry, he gets angry because something is coming in between the relationship. It's just the opposite. Because something is taking you away from him, he gets angry. Because something is coming in between you, he gets angry. Because something is stopping his blessing from flowing in your life, coming to you, he gets angry. Anything that comes between him and you that stops him being, allowing him to be everything he needs to be to you, giving you his grace, his enablement, if that stops, he gets angry with that. It's just the opposite. And I want us to remember that. That's a little advertisement for next, one, next time. So you come back to Rahab and you remember that God took a prostitute, used her in terms of his promises, in terms of his redemption as an example and he set her free. Joshua spared Rahab and the harlot, her father's household and all that she had. So, she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers who Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Well, she's not alive today, but she dwells in Israel today. What do you think that means? So it's not just she and her family that were saved, not just she and her family that were kept, but she and her grandchildren, her grandchildren's grandchildren, her grandchildren's grandchildren are there today. And you can trace them back because Jews, Jews keep records. They keep genealogies. They're big on genealogies. You know the parts of the Bible that you skip? <laughs> they keep those records. They keep those records. You don't believe me. Matthew chapter 1 verse 5. Matthew chapter 1, one of your favorite passages of scripture. Where you meditate on those names, you know. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. Does anyone know who Jesse is? The son of? David. And then you go back from David, and you trace it all the way back down, and you find another big character that we all love and worship. And his name is? Jesus. 
I cannot go past this passage without bringing to your attention the fact that God didn't just pull a prostitute out of the walls of Jericho. He didn't just spare her, her family and say, go, go live there somewhere. Give them some land. He took this woman, he took that family and he brought her all the way into Israel. And he brought her into the very lineage of the son of David. That today, when you talk about Jesus, you cannot miss talking about Rahab. And you will find in scriptures, and I'll give it to you in another sermon, you'll find in scriptures that God constantly brings about the redemption and the picture of his son through a line of sin and brokenness and shame and fearfulness. For he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah was a sick guy. He was a sick fellow. And you don't know how and why, but God will bring through destruction, bring through wickedness, bring through shame and horrific lifestyles. He will bring a story of redemption. He will burn the past. He will burn it down. But he will let your name last and he will give you a legacy. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 31. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had been given a friendly welcome or she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. James chapter 2 verse 25. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out. But they kept talking about her. They kept talking about her. They kept talking. Even James didn't spare her. Even James brought her up. Anytime you want to talk about faith, let's talk about Rahab. You talk about Abraham. You talk about Moses. And you talk about Rahab. What? Abraham? Moses? Rahab? In the same chapter? Can God do that? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. That's why the Bible is filled with examples of how God takes people out of no matter what background and gives them a hope and a future. For that is the plans of the Lord. What are we talking about? God kept his promises. God kept his promises. God kept his promises. He remembered. He remembered. He remembers. How do we take relationships and reconcile them to the point where we are able to integrate them back into our lives? Rahab is a prostitute. Rahab is another people. Rahab is part of a people that God wanted to destroy because he judged them. But one person called out to God in mercy. One person asked for forgiveness. One person wanted to be right with God. And God took that person and didn't just spare, say, go that way. You spared. Joshua, leave her alone. Let her take her family. No, bring her. And the next chapter, she is next, very same chapter, she is in Israel. It's easy to forgive people. It's easy to kind of forget them. It's easy to cut them off. But when God says bring them back into your life and let them live in your house and let them become part of your life again and let them receive the blessing that I have given to you and let the, my legacy that I have given to you be shared with them, that's a whole different forgiveness ballgame. Are you with me? Is there anybody like that in your life? Don't say yes. Don't say anything. Is there anybody... Are there people in your life that God is calling you to not only forgive, but to bring them all the way back into your life again? It's very difficult, very tough. How do you work that? How do you work that? Maybe not 
personally, let's not look at personal examples at this point, but let's look at God's heart and God's desire to bring people back into his family. Can we do that? For a few minutes, let's talk about that. God not only wants to forgive people, God not only wants to burn their past up, but God wants to bring them into his family. The equivalent of Rahab coming out of Jericho's walls and coming into Israel is the equivalent, is is equal to somebody coming out of a godless lifestyle, uh, a, a, a demon, a demonic lifestyle, or a, or a, or a wicked lifestyle, or a, any dark lifestyle coming out and coming all the way, not only to be forgiven, but into the family of God. Now, when you've been under and in the influence of Satan, your life is broken, your promises are broken, your heart is broken, your systems are broken, your psychology is broken, everything is hurting. Are you with me? I want you to think with me and I want you to feel with me. I want you to hear a sermon, but I also want you to hear a commission. God has not called us to sit and listen to sermons. God has called us to sit and listen to instructions to go out and do that. Who has God called us to be? When God wants people back, he doesn't just say, you're forgiven, see you in heaven. God on earth provides a family, I repeat. God on earth provides a family that becomes the transitory between here and heaven. I'm going to say that again until you listen carefully. God wants somebody, God wants a community, God wants a, a, a climate that you can walk into here on earth to begin to experience what God is talking about, about this incredible grace, this enabling grace. And that family is the church. We are the church. We are who God has called us to be. We don't go to church. We are the church. We don't behave like the church. We are the church. We don't mimic a church, we are the church. We are not a religion, we are the family of God. And God wants broken, hurting, messed up people, not only forgive them, but bring them into our family. Who's gonna be most inconvenienced? Who's gonna be most inconvenienced? The older brother. Do you know the older brother? Do you remember the prodigal son? And the story of the prodigal son is about the older brother. That's what Jesus told him because he knew that the Pharisees and the scribes and all the religious heads were were listening to this story. And you know what? They're smart enough to figure that he was talking about them. That they weren't the prodigals. They were the older brothers. And when God is calling people and here's the heart that God wants us to, to get. When God is calling people that he is wooing. Did you know that? Did you know that God didn't sleep last night? Did you sleep last night? Some of you didn't, that's why you're sleeping now. But (laughs) God didn't sleep last night. And he was not sleepless because he's restless, uh, but he's awake because he's constantly wooing. Because when you were sleeping, the other half of the world, God was working in their lives. And when you go to sleep, the other half of the God, God is working in their lives. 24-7, around the clock, God is calling people and winning people back to himself. With their bruises, with their wickedness, with their nonsense, with their smelliness, God is calling people back to himself. I, used to, I remember one of my professors would tell us, if you don't, want to be, if you don't like the smell of sheep, don't be a shepherd. Because when you bring sheep in, they're going to stink. They're going to stink. You stunk. When you came back to God, some of us still stink a little and God is dealing with that. And we are a community that stink together. 
not just stick together. We stink together. Remembering clearly the grace of God that God brought us out of the same mess. Rahab, prostitute from the walls of Jericho. Next verse, she's in Israel up to this day. And what that means, God's going to protect her lineage all the way. Not only in Israel, but she will come into the line of the Lord Jesus. That through her, God will bring Christ. But Lord, but Lord, didn't you want like a holy line? Didn't you want like a pure line out of which a pure people, out of which your child would be born so that that child is presented to the world? Didn't you want a holy nation? That's why you took Achan and his family and burned him because you want a holy people. So that, yes, but I can make those people holy. I can burn their past. I can destroy everything that is ungodly in their life. I will not destroy them. I will destroy ungodliness in their life. So the church then becomes a place where we receive you and we bring you in and we enable you to experience the love and the grace of God there, but we also are agents in helping you burn the past. Do you get where I'm going? Do you get where I'm going? So we accept you as you are, but we don't leave you as you are. We help you move forward. We help you look back as the walls of Jericho are burned to the ground. How do you rebuild broken relationships? How do you get people all the way in and help them deal with their past? Three ways. Number one, by helping people respond to God's mercy for help. Constantly preaching the mercy of God rather than the judgment of God. When you preach the judgment of God, you chase people away. When you preach the mercy of God, you draw people for them. When God calls his lost children back to himself, he doesn't say, I'm angry with you. When God calls lost people back to himself, he says, I have had mercy on you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's why as the pastor, I want everyone who walks through that gate, the first verse they see every Sunday morning is, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And that's a promise. So no matter what your week has been like, God's going to act on his promise, not on your performance. So everybody's welcome. Everybody's always welcome. Everybody's forever welcome. Yeah, but how many times should we forgive? <laughs> seven times seven? No, make it 70 times seven until you lose count. Number two, help people out of their old lives by burning the past. So there needs to be a ministry of restoration and rebuilding. Number three, help people assimilate into God's family. Because God's family behaves by different rules. God's family comes under authority. God's family works with a different uh, behavioral pattern. God's family has a different culture, all of its own. So when you get married into another family, you adopt some of the culture of that family. You come under a different authority structure in that family. You think differently. You behave differently. You solve conflict differently. You approach problems differently. You secure yourself differently. So as you're coming into the family of God, they need to be assimilated. This doesn't happen overnight. They're going to be assimilated. So we move them first in helping them understand how do we behave as a family? What are our values? Then we help them grow in Jesus so that they have the empowering power of God in order to grow in that. Are you with me? We call that maturity. That doesn't happen overnight either. 
Then we get them serving so that they forget themselves. How do you become a selfless person? How do you move away from being selfish or selfless or all about yourself or living for your purposes? By finding a ministry and serving others that you're not getting paid to do. And from there, we then say, whatever you're doing here in the church, you move out and do it for someone else outside in the world. We call that mission. So we have a process by which we take people and assimilate them into the family of God so they understand that this family is not about itself, it's about everybody else. It's about everybody else. Let's go through a few scriptures. Help people respond to God's mercy for help. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great what? Mercy. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Because of his great mercy, what has he done? What has he done? He has caused us to be born again. When you were born, the first time you were born into one family, into one character, into one behavioral pattern, into, under one name, under one authority. Now when you're born again, you're born into a new family. Now you have to learn how to develop, how to work, how to act in that new family. That's what we teach our children. Nay better, this is how we do things. This is how you will behave. We teach them how our family behaves. We don't say, look at the Sharmas outside. Please behave like them. Don't behave like us. We never say that. Because we want our children to reflect us. To be born again, to be born into the family of God is to now emulate the families father blessed be the lord jesus christ because of his great mercy so we preach mercy we preach mercy how do you help people respond to god's mercy give letting them know about it letting them know about it 1 peter 2 10 once you were not a people but now you are god's people are you understanding that performance comes out of identity identity doesn't come out of performance Performance comes out of identity. If you get your identity right, your understanding of identity, who are you? Whose child are you? Who is your father? What has God called you to be? Who has God called you to be? Then your performance grows out of that. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. So when you walk into the family of God, you should walk into a climate of people, a community of people that have experienced the mercy of God. Is that us? Is that us? When people come here, when they meet with us, when they, when they uh, become part of our community, part of our family, when they talk to us, do they experience, when you meet me, do you feel like Jeremy has really experienced the mercy of God? Or are you hearing Jeremy say that you need the mercy of God? You know what I'm saying? It's a huge difference. It's a big difference here. It's about customer satisfaction. <laughs> It's about customer satisfaction. You don't come to a church and you get preached at. You come to a church and find demonstration. You come to a church and find examples that of people who have received the mercy of God. How does a person who's completely uh, been mercified behave? You know? You've been mercified. How does a person behave when you've been completely forgiven? How does that person behave? When do you get over that? Oh, I've been forgiven, yeah, but now I'm over it. When do you get over that? When do you get over having been mercified? Don't use that word outside, but you just get it here. How do you behave when you have been shown tremendous promise? 
tremendous promise. All the promises of God are backed up behind you, standing there with angels guarding it, and God the Father uh, holding his word, and Jesus being the advocate of all that has been said and done, risen again to keep his word, so that he reminds God the Father in daily unceasing prayer that he has prayed for you uh, of the promises that he has made to you. I have kept them in the world. Now you, Lord, keep all those things. Now that you know that you have the full backup of God, how do you behave? Anxious? Fearful? Insecure? I think not. You get where I'm going with this? How do you behave? You come into this church, you come into this family, and you begin to experience people who have seen a lot of the mercy of God. You've seen a lot of the grace of God. And then you say, I want to be here. Why? Because I need those things too. 1 Timothy 1.16, but I have received mercy for this reason. Oh, okay, there's a reason I receive mercy. I've received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, who's speaking here? Paul, speaking to Timothy, but through Timothy to the rest of the church. He says, I have received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. I'm going to go very slow on this until we get it. Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience in me as an example to who? To those who are going to believe in him. You get that? Those who are going to believe in him for eternal life. There are people who are going to believe in him. This week there are people who are going to believe in him. This week there are people who are going to turn to him. Because every day God is wooing people and people are coming back to him. But we are not in the process. God is not using us in the process. Why is he not using us in the process? Why is he not setting us as an example to say, if you want to see the mercy of God, look at these people. If you want to see the grace of God, look at these people. If you want to know the love and power of God, look at these people. If you want to see reconciliation all the way to restoration, all the way to rehabilitation, look at these people. Why is God not sending hundreds of people our way to to show us as the example of the mercy of God. Paul says to Timothy, look at me. I am the example of what God is doing. Because God has shown me this patience and mercy, I am on display so that the world may see. So that those who are coming to faith in Christ might look at me and say, there, is, there, there goes an example. There's someone I can look at. There's someone I can emulate. That doesn't mean you put your sin on display. You put the grace of God on display. How do you put the days of God on display? By your gratitude and by your worship. By your gratitude and by your worship. 1 Timothy 1.16 But I received mercy for this reason. For this reason. So yes, you've received mercy. You've received mercy not just because of our sin, but you received mercy so that others also may receive mercy. Never forget that. Never forget that. So you have a ministry of displaying mercy. You have a ministry of displaying mercy. We help people respond to God's mercy for help. Number two, we help people out of their own lives. The church must be a counseling place. The sermon must be a counseling time. Fellowship, small groups must be a counseling place. Why? Counsel means wisdom for change. Bible study times must be changed. Use the word counsel. Looking into God's word, looking into God's will. Help people out of their old lives. Philippians chapter 3 verse 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me. Forgetting what lies behind me. You don't think that Paul day after day was, was nagged by the memory of the persecution of the church? 
You don't think Paul woke up sometimes with horrific pictures of how he dragged believers and Christians into the, the prison and how he persecuted them and how he gave the word to the soldiers to, slash, to, to lash them? You don't think that those words and those experiences came back to him? That was, that was his sin. That's his sin story. So your sin story and my sin story is going to keep coming back to us. And as it comes back to us, we forget what lies behind us and we move forward. When people come into our community, when they come into our family, we help them break the memory of the past. I'm going to say it again and slowly. We help them break the power of the memory from the past of what has happened before, whether it's been done to them or whether they did it, no matter what their life has been, we help them burn Jericho. God doesn't just save Rahab out of Jericho, he burns Jericho down. You know what Jericho was? Her past life. Because she wasn't a prostitute in Israel, I can tell you that. Are you with me? Help people break their old lives. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the high calling of God. Maturity is growing in that faith. It's growing in convictions of who I am in Jesus Christ. It's growing in what God has done for us. Please stop and listen. If you're not focused, try and get focused on what God is saying to you this morning. There are two things here. God wants you to be mature and God wants you to help in the maturing process of somebody else. If you think that's Pastor Jeremy's job, you are wrong. You are wrong. You'll be pleasantly surprised or horrifically surprised that God wants to use you to mature the others, not me. He wants me to train you to help others become mature. But how can I help others become mature when I myself am not quite mature? Somebody's been lying to you. You are mature. The very fact that you could say that means you're a little mature. And if you're a little mature, bring everybody else up to little mature. If you're little more than little mature, then get people up to there. But wherever you're at, you'll always be dealing with stuff. It doesn't mean you start, don't move other people one step further. Daily meditation on scripture with personal application is the most effective means of obtaining personal joy and peace and emotional maturity. On the average, it takes three years of daily scripture meditation to bring about enough change in a person's thought patterns and behavior to produce statistically superior mental health and happiness. Three years for life change. Three years to get out of a habit, to get out of a, of a lifestyle with habits, to get out of a lifestyle with convictions about sexuality or about, uh, about drunkenness or about, uh, about even ambition. No matter what your lifestyle was, you can't just overnight become a believer and then just stay that way or become perfect. It takes some very, I, I don't know if you're getting this. Because I live with this burden every day. I don't know if you're getting this. And maybe there's a block that's telling you, no, he's not talking about me. If someone's telling you he's not talking about me, you're being lied to already. You are in the process of leading somebody else and looking up to somebody else, always. God wants to bring certain people into the church through you specifically, you, you. If I could take your name, I would. 
So who are those people? And what are you doing about it? And how are we working? How am I working with you? You're working with me to help these people move forward. What is the maturity process so that we move people forward? It takes up to three years to get people completely turned around in their mental state so that they forget that old lifestyle. And some of the things that were done to you when you were six years old or eight years old, some of the horrific things that some people have in their stories, in their, in their sin stories or in their hurt stories, their stars or their scars, no matter what, it takes a long time to, are you with me? Are you getting this? Are you committed with me to help people change? We don't just want to get them saved. We don't just want to get them out of Jericho. We want to get them into Israel. Because that is the heart and plan of God. Maturity is about helping people develop the conviction and how to plug into the grace enabling of God to get that power, how to plug into the power of God to receive that power from him, to be able to forgive people I cannot forgive, to be able to do the things I cannot do, to be able to uh, uh, change the people around me that I cannot change. So we move into this assimilation process. Number three, help people assimilate into God's family. Help them understand their new identity. Help them understand their new involvement. Identity and involvement. How do you get people into the church? How do you move people into God's family? And we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Yeah, we know that. Who are called according to his purpose. Yeah, we know that too. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Look at that verse and stare at it and say, God, what are you saying to me today? What are you saying to me today? He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God wants you to become like Jesus every day. You already knew that. So let me tell you something that you've not been told for a long time. There are five or six people in your life that God wants them to become like Jesus. That means not just out of Jericho, but into Israel. God wants them, but here's the, here's the news for you guys. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. And you're not available. And the reason you're not available is because you're too busy feeling sorry for yourself or feeling sick about yourself. Those are the two S's that we live with every day. Either I'm feeling sorry for myself or I'm feeling sick about myself. Because I don't think I'm good enough to lead anybody else, tell anybody else anything. Oh, I don't want to be preachy. I don't want to be preachy. Trust me, you'll never be preachy. Trust me on that one. You'll never be preachy. But you feel sorry for yourself. You, you, you can't, I myself need this. I myself am not. One of the two lies is going to keep you from those five, six, seven, eight, ten people. How many people sitting in this room right now? Who did the head count? 69. And there are 10 people in each of your lives that God wants to use you to come out of Jericho and into... There are 10 people that you all know. Don't say, I don't know 10 people. That's not going to work with me. So we have a ministry to how many people? You just have to add a zero. 69 into 10 is 690 people. We don't even have the space for that many people. But we have the scope. My message to you this morning, from pastor to congregation, whatever God is saying to you, God is saying to you. I'm not responsible. 
But what I'm saying to you this morning is I can't do this alone. And I can't get to those 10 people unless you partner with me. And I can't, you won't partner with me until, unless you get over yourself. And stop feeling sorry for yourself or sick about yourself. Until you stop feeling that you, you, you're not good enough or that you're not theological enough or that you're not spiritual enough or that you're not, you know, you don't, you're too busy. Or too, all of them are lies. That God wants you to help people not only get out of Jericho, but into Israel. It's harder to get into Israel than it is to get out of Jericho. Because God would get you out of Jericho and God will burn down Jericho in a moment. He can forget your past, he can wipe out your past and he can get you out of Jericho. Getting into Israel involves the Israelites. And that's where it gets a bit mucky. Because the church has to say, oh you know what? She's going to be among us and she's here to stay. Get with it boys. Oh you know who she used to be? You know where she's coming from? Do you know what? This was Jericho and when Joshua went and, she, and these two, I don't know what those fellows were doing in her house, but they were, she, and she was all, hey, you know, you know the Bible talks about your great grandmother? You know what she was? Isn't that some churches? Is that our church? If God's going to forget the past, we're going to have to forget the past. And that's, I can't do it without you guys. I can't do it without, the, I don't want to grow this church because it's my career, it's not my career. There are five other careers that I would prefer to do. Watch my Instagram, you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> There's a, there are a lot of other careers I would choose to do. I don't need to be in ministry. God wants me in ministry, so I am in ministry because I love Jesus. And that's the same reason you should be in ministry with me. And if you're not partnering with me, we're not a church, we're just a guy who wants an audience to listen to him every Sunday. This is not about me and it's not about my, my career. In fact, like he keeps saying, this is what we are together to do as a family. 1 John chapter 1 verse 11 and 13 says, He came to his own, his own did not receive him, but to those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, received him, believed in his name, to them what did he do? What did he give them? He gave them the right to become the children of God. What God wants is not to destroy your past, but to create your future. What God wants is for you to restore your correct identity, which is his child. Children born not of blood, that's Sharma's, Yadav's, Dawson's, Chaudhary's. Yes? Not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, adopted, abortions, accidental children, illegitimate children will of the flesh, but of the will of God, of the born of God. No, you're not getting this, you're not getting this. God wants certain people in his family and they're not in his family yet. They are not there because they haven't heard the mercy of God and they haven't been brought to the mercy of God and they haven't been assimilated into the family of God. Who's in the way, Jericho or Israel? The desire to belong precedes the desire to believe. Do, not, do we demonstrate the presence and power and purposes of God in a way that makes people want to belong to our community? If they walk through this door, this is what I'm trying to say for the last two years. I don't want people to join this church because the music is good. I don't want people to join this church because the message is good. 
I want people to join these churches because they feel loved and forgiven and mercified. They must come and want to stay here because of you, not because of me. They must come and God must bring lots of people to say, come, there's a people here hiding in a basement. There's a people here. Don't come because of their singing. Don't come because of their loud praying. They don't pray loudly. Don't come because of this pastor, the preacher that they have. Come because over here, they cooperate with me in demonstrating to you the mercy of God. God wants to show them mercy directly, no, through you. God wants to show them love and compassion directly, no, through you. God wants to show them ways of getting to their new life, assimilating into the new believer life. How? Through you. You and I are going to be strategically involved in every part. Someone brings them to Christ. Someone helps them understand Christ. Someone is going to serve Christ. Someone represent Christ. We're not going to be all the way in anybody's life. Every one of us is going to be involved in it. And if you're not willing to be part of that, you shouldn't be in Israel. Why, I ask myself, is God, who is bringing many to himself, not bringing them to us to show the love, the demonstration of his grace and his mercy through us. Why is he not doing that? Why is he not doing that? Because he's not going to do it through a sermon. He's not going to do it through singing. He's going to do it to people and through relationships. When we can get over ourselves, stop feeling sorry for ourselves or sick about ourselves. Are you with me? I want you to go home and think about it. Lord, how do you want me to partner with my church's vision to help people get out of Jericho but also into Israel? Some of you will help me, help me get people out of Jericho, but most of you will help me get people into Israel. Oh Lord, one of the most powerful ways to reach a lost world back to God is by serving their needs. People have physical needs, emotional needs, financial needs, relational needs, spiritual needs. When we create solutions for those needs, God will bring them to us. They have these needs? Yes, no, yes. When we have solutions to those needs, will they come? Yes, no, yes. Are they not coming because we don't have those needs? We don't, we don't have solutions? No, they don't know about it. And we're not offering it. We're not getting out there. <coughs> Jesus didn't wake up in the morning and put a signboard on his house. Anyone who wants to come, come meet me. Meet my secretary. I'm available between 11 and 14. He didn't say that. Every morning, Jesus woke up early in the morning, spent time with God, got the power from God, and went out walking into the colonies. He went out walking among the people, and he met their needs where they were. Are you, get, are you getting this? We have got to get out. Sunday morning we get together, but most of the week we get out and we get into people's lives. They are physical needs, emotional. God is engaged in bringing people back to himself and his agency is the church. He wants them to know there is a place, a community of people that are called by his name, filled with his love and empowered by his grace enabling. Think with me. Write it down if you have to. Who do you know? Names. Who do you know that needs to hear the assuring promises of God right now? Who do you know <coughs> that needs to hear the assuring promises of God right now? Let's take Arpit for example. Arpit, who do you know? Don't answer. Who do you know? Okay, you can think of three people. Very good. What promises do they need to know? Do you know those promises? Aha! Uh -huh. You get where I'm going with this? Where does the box, where does it stop? Where does the process get jammed? I know they need God's promises, but I don't know what those promises. The Bible says God helps those who help themselves. So I give them a Bible, that to King James Version, and I say, go for it, buddy. Yeah? Not going to help. But when you put an arm around the person, God has said, 
God has said, he will not leave you as orphans. God has said, even though your father and mother forsake you, I will not. God has said, God has said, God has said. At that moment, brother, when your brother and sister, when you are helping someone, when you've got your arm around, when compassion is your, is your language, you are not being preachy. You're not being preachy. You'll never be preachy. God wants to use you. Who are those people that needs to hear the promising assurance of God? That needs strength to rebuild a shattered life? That needs God's intervention in a relationship that has grown cold? What does God have to say to them through you? That needs power to forgive the past and move on? That needs a safety net, listen carefully, that needs a safety net as they muster the courage to give up a relationship or to give up a habit or to give up a lifestyle. As they go through the process of giving up that and they are torn between God and that, and that habit or that lifestyle or that, or that uh, relationship and they're torn and as they build the courage to move in the direction, who is that safety net? Who is that small group? Who are those people that they can, he, can, he or she can rely on that they will be with him all through that process until he breaks free and he enters into the freedom and rest of our Savior? Who are those people? What is that safety net? What will it take for you to reach out to that person, that couple, that family, and call them to listen to God's counsel? Call them to church. Our pastor, he doesn't just preach Ezekiel. He tells us how to change our life. He tells us how to get the mercy of God. He tells us that there is a loving, what is God, what am I preaching about next Sunday? Do you know? Do you know what I'm preaching about next Sunday? Do you know what I'm going to, I'm putting it out constantly. On Instagram, on Facebook, I'm constantly talking about it. I'm constantly trying to get it out. And I can tell you personally also what's happening. If you have a plan, if you have people and you're praying for them, you'll be like, Pastor, I'm bringing them, okay? Are you preaching? Are you preaching next Sunday? I am, I'm bringing, I'm bringing. I have those people. There are those people in this church. That's why we are where we are today. We've grown to 250 in, in two years. Because there are people like that. But I want everybody on board. Are you with me? What will it take for you to reach out to people? Is there anything in your life that renders you a hypocrite, crippling your ability to get others back to God? On the purposes of God's mission and evangelism and proclamation of the good news, are you, are you involved? Are you involved? The Lord Jesus said this. He came to Nazareth and where he had been brought up. And as he was, was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up in the synagogue and he opened Isaiah and he read this from the scroll of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. To proclaim what? Good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Liberty for whom? The captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. Sight for whom? Those who are blind. To set liberty those who are oppressed. And lastly, to proclaim the years of the Lord's favor. What is that? That every 50th year all slaves are set free no matter what. All, all slaves in Israel are set free, no matter what, in the 50th year. It's the year of Jubilee. I've come to announce that this is the year of Jubilee. Anybody in any slavery, you're set free. Anybody in any bondage, you're set free. Anybody in any relationship, you're set free. Anybody in any sin, you're set free. I've come to announce this good news. This church believes that. We believe that when you walk in here, we will not only announce to you the good news that freedom is available, but we'll help you rehabilitate to be able to live in Israel so that your descendants and descendants' descendants can give glory to God. I've gone way over time, but have I made my point? Are you with me?
as you ask God, Lord, what is Pastor Jerry saying? And what is the Spirit of God saying to me? What is the church here appealing to me? And what is the Spirit of God appealing to me as I make a decision, as we go into communion, as you hold the wine, as you hold the bread, as you think about your life and what God has done to bring you out of Jericho and burn Jericho down? Is he gonna help you or use you in that process for somebody else? Every one of us knows five or six people. With every head bowed and every eye closed, talk to God, talk to God. Your ministry is about to be born. A new life, a new vocation is about to be born in your life. God is about to do a deep new thing in your life.
before you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace and the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands what a wonderful god we serve creation sings out in praise
I'm running. 